0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. There you go. Amazing. Bernie and Daniel and Isaac are here this morning. I just want to appreciate and honour you guys just... Thank you so much for your courage and being willing to share that story and um, your trust in Christ is just, wow, it's so brave. Um, it's why it's why we're here, it's why we create environments like this, and maybe you're someone who's normally a church person or someone engaged in faith, maybe you're watching online and, and seeing that yourself, and and um, maybe life has thrown you something right now that's freaking you out, and you're worried about and anxious about our great hope, and the reason indeed why we're doing this series currently about being daring and decisions of the daring is because life will require so often you and I to find inside of us uh, the deep, deep wells that your Heavenly Father is putting you of courage. And life does a great job of making us be anxious and fearful and worried. And so we think it's really, really important that we talk about how faith in Christ leads us to be courageous and leads us to be daring, because as you already know, your life will call upon you to be brave and to be courageous and to be daring often. That's why we're engaging in this series. So, So good to have you here, and if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Jono. I'm the pastor here along with my wife and our great team, and uh, it's so cool to be able to host you this morning. So this is part two uh, in this series, and here's the thing. When we hear stories, uh, maybe whether it's in in a book or a film or in real life of courage, and you see someone's story, they showed incredible resilience or incredible fortitude, they did something daring, more often than not, there is a common denominator in that story in fact, it's the very ingredient that makes this particular story, a particular event, a particular activity, a daring event or a daring activity. And the common denominator is usually sacrifice. When it comes to courage, can we go to that first slide? A courageous act is almost always involving a sacrifice. Indeed, that's what makes it courageous. If there wasn't sacrifice involved, it probably would be something else. It wouldn't be courageous. It wouldn't be daring. So a courageous act by its very nature is courageous because it involves this notion of a sacrifice. Usually it's a story where someone has given up their freedom. They've sacrificed their own freedom so another could get out of bondage. It might have been someone sacrificed or gave up their own strength so another could be saved out of their weakness. Or maybe it's someone who left relative safety in order to rescue another out of danger. It's always a story of sacrifice, and sacrifice is always, always a courageous, bold, and daring act, which is amazing because right at the heart of the Christian message, right at the heart of Christianity, is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. It's an event. It's a sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and obviously the for, you know, for over a thousand years, the kind of central image, if you will, that's been adopted as an image of Christianity has been a Roman cross where people would be crucified And that is a picture of Jesus being sacrificed on behalf of the sins of the world. So right at the heart of the Christian message is a sacrifice. And it's worth noting this because the birth of Christianity, where Christianity was birthed, it wasn't birthed because a book was written. It wasn't birthed because a teaching was taught. It was birthed because of an event. And uh, following, obviously, a sacrifice was the event that changed everything. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And before we have the modern Bible that we have today with our Old and New Testaments collated together in one leather-bound book with a little ribbon in the middle, before there's ever a, the Bible that we know it today, Christianity was birthed because of a courageous act of sacrifice and its subsequent Resurrection. And so, so, and this is worth noting because Christianity fundamentally, fundamentally isn't about following simply the teachings of a book or, or principles or a teacher. There'd been many teachers, religious scholars and teachers and, uh, you know, religious leaders in the past, but there's only ever been one, there's only ever been one that has been resurrected from the dead. There's only ever been one. Here's what's amazing, that predicted their own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. And here's what we believe. If someone can predict and pull off their own resurrection, you generally go with whatever they say is true, is true, right? Because they've proven they are someone. And this is also why at the heart of Christianity, it isn't simply about following a teaching or principle. At the heart of Christianity, also this, this idea of worship because we're not simply following principles or following teaching. We are following a person, and that person is worthy of worship. And whether it's religious or not in your mind, we all worship something. You look at how you live and what you're devoted to, it's all worship of something. And for the Christian, fundamentally, what we've chosen to worship is a person, and that person's name obviously is Jesus Christ. And so, but here's the thing, what preceded the event of the resurrection before, the thing that Christianity was birthed out of and based off, if it wasn't for Jesus' resurrection, if it wasn't for Him proving that He was someone more than just a person and just a teacher, then you just have the options to just follow a teacher, His teaching, along with any other teaching. But the resurrection is what punctuated the fact that He indeed was who He said He. Was he proved it? How else could a person prove that they indeed were God in a body other than doing something unbodily and inhuman, right? It was amazing. So, so, but here's the thing prior to that, prior to this great hope that we have of the resurrection of Jesus and ultimately the resurrection of our lives, there was something else, there's something came before it. Indeed, this was a sacrifice. And most things in life that you and I hope for are usually preceded by sacrifice. Now, this isn't anything new to you. You live this, you experience this, but let me just paint this picture a moment for you. It's important for us to understand. This happens in every area of our life. Something that you hope for, something that you aspire to have or achieve or to, um, to, to, to earn in life. And you usually get it because you've sacrificed for something, So for instance, if you, uh, you, know, you want to get certain marks, certain grades, you obviously sacrifice time. If you want to achieve in, in a sporting endeavor or a music endeavor or maybe even a business endeavor, in order to get what you hope for, there's always a measure of sacrifice involved. That isn't a unique thought. It's a well-established thought. But here's, but here's the important part of understanding the unique thing about the Christian idea of sacrifice. It's Christianity. Its promise isn't that we avoid death. Christianity's promise isn't that we avoid pain. Christianity's promise isn't that we avoid suffering. The Christian promise is this, is that there is on the other side of suffering, of pain, and indeed of sacrifice, there is a promise of a resurrection, that there's a thing you're hoping for. Now, here's how this lens works in all areas of our life. It's so important for us to understand this. Jesus, Jesus didn't even mince words when he tried to paint this picture for us. Indeed, he said this, if you are even chasing life, if you want life, if there's a life you're chasing, and a life you're after, because if you want it, the pathway to get in the life that you've always wanted, he said it's through death said, if you really want life, you have to be prepared to lose your life. He said, if you spend your whole life trying to get life, you'll end up losing. If you're always trying to get more, get more, get more, you'll end up losing everything. He said, if you want life, you've got to be prepared to lay it down. Let me explain how this works in practice. Take your marriage. If you're married, for instance, right now, if you have two people and you come in with two different agendas... It's going to be a bit of a clash. If you have one person, say, that's coming in to sacrifice the other person and lay their life down for the other person and be generous to the other person, and the other person's coming to the marriage looking forward to getting all that from the other person, you know there's going to be a recipe for tension and a disaster, okay? Imagine if both of you are going in to see what you could get from the other person. You're going to get nothing. But if you both go in, Looking at what can I, I love this person so much, what can I sacrifice for them? And you both go in looking to outdo one another in sacrifice and outdo one another in service. You can agree with me, right? That's a recipe for a happy blossoming marriage, right? So when you are looking to invest into a relationship, and so you choose sacrifice, the hope is that that sacrifice would result in something that you hope for. Okay, let me break it down another level. If you're a parent here, if you have children, okay, okay, Children are born into the world completely dependent. You're an adult, so you're independent. And in order for your child to grow up much more than just biologically, in order for them to grow up in maturity, to grow up as a healthy, contributing, blossoming member of society, a parent needs to be willing to sacrifice their own independence in order that the child may gain one day their own independence. And if a parent only... Invest into a child when it suits them and when it's easy, and are not willing to sacrifice any of their margin or their time or their interest. The child will grow up physically, and that's about it. So your hope for your child is that they will grow up as an independent, mature, functioning, hopefully follower of Jesus one day. In order to get there, a parent willingly makes decisions. I will sacrifice much of my life and much of my independence so that my child may gain independence one day, and obviously. And finally, the great Christian hope fundamentally, and this is, I guess, the good news, is that the Christian hope isn't that we don't die. The Christian hope is that we'll live again. And to this idea of sacrifice, resurrection, sacrifice, resurrection, sacrifice, it's not avoid pain, avoid death. It's no, on the other end of sacrifice, there is a promise of a resurrection. Now, as that is a foundation, I want to see how this is explored in the person of Jesus because this fundamentally was was, uh, illustrated and exemplified in Christ's life. And so much of the uh, New Testament letters after the gospels were written to try and explain uh, well, why, would, why would, well, everything Jesus did and everything Jesus taught, what exactly did it mean? And so much that we have in the New Testament is explaining and breaking this down. And this whole idea of sacrifice, resurrection, sacrifice, resurrection was addressed many times. And one of the best places this was mentioned, I find, is when the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians. So let's see what he says here about it. Ephesians chapter four, he says, he writes to them and says, be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example. And I love that, right? It's not just saying follow God's teachings and be obedient. He says, take your cue from God's example. Follow His example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. Here it is. And gave Himself up for us. How did He love us? At the fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God this term sacrifice, and we, we struggle, and it's not our fault. It's no one's fault. It's a bit tame these days. But when these words were written, this is in the, the ancient Roman world, the idea of sacrifice carried a lot of weight with it. Because it wasn't just in in, uh, in even Jewish circles, but also Greek circles, sacrifice was often seen. Sacrifice was bloodied. Sacrifice stunk. Sacrifice was noisy. Sacrifice was grotesque. And so many religions, and particularly those that weren't even from a Jewish background, involved the sacrifice for, for sin and human problems all the time. So sacrifice was with this well-understood idea. But here in the New Testament, they're writing ultimately what Jesus did for us, how Jesus illustrated and exemplified His love for humanity. The path He chose to show that was through the path of a sacrifice. And you, now it's worth noting there is a purpose for this. And you notice here, He says, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So He's given you a hint of what the purpose of the sacrifice was for. The purpose of the sacrifice was forgiveness it was forgiveness. So remember, a sacrifice will precede something you hope for, something you desire. And so God desired to restore relationship with a lost humanity in Himself. That was His hope. He wanted to forgive humanity. And the pathway to that was through sacrifice. Now, if you're someone who is maybe exploring faith and checking out church, maybe you're online here today and you're stumbled across the line. I'm not sure if I believe this. One of the common questions, and I know when I encounter people who uh, aren't familiar with the, the Christian idea and who Jesus is, and, and I guess the meanings behind why we celebrate Christ and follow Jesus, is there's often a question that's brought up, and it's a legitimate question, is why couldn't God just forgive? Why was a sacrifice necessary? Like why, why wouldn't it just be enough for someone to be apologetic for doing something that offended the heart of God or offended God? Why wasn't to say sorry enough? Why isn't just an apology enough? And that's a fair question, right? It's like, surely God could just forgive. But here's what you have to understand. is Jesus, Jesus pardoned the sinner, but he didn't pardon sin. He pardoned the sinner, not the sin. So sin, it still had to be paid for because there was an injustice, and an injustice needs to be made right. And this is why it's worth asking the question. Maybe someone's like, well, why did God have to pay the price? Couldn't I pay the price? Couldn't I you know, work my way into being right with God? If I've made wrong, if I've offended God, then surely I can unoffend God. But here's the thing. You're the one who has the debt, and the very nature of your debt is you can't repay it. You forgive, you've offended a perfect God. So this is, this is the nature. This is why sacrifice was necessary. So this is, a, this is a big idea to get heads around. I'm going to use a few examples to try and break this down. So the first way I want to do this is let's talk about an economic terms because we live in the West in the 21st century. Our brains can easily go that way. Let's say for a moment um, you have a neighbor, and that neighbor who was driving home, and they are reversing, and they completely miss, they completely miss their garage, and they ran straight into the side of your house, right? They took out the side of your wall. They damaged your garage maybe, took out all your wonderful gerberas and plants and all the things you had growing there, and they've done damage to your house. And the problem is they nor you didn't have insurance, okay? So there now is damage inflicted on property. There's a problem here. That problem doesn't just go into thin air. You have two options. Either one, you will force that person to pay up. It's you have Done something wrong that has inflicted damage, and now there is a cost, there is a debt to pay, and I demand that you pay it. And everyone will be like, Yeah, fair enough. They did something wrong. There is damage. The debt needs to be bared by someone. But the other option is this you refuse to let them or refuse to make them pay off the damage, and you volunteer to bear the cost yourself. Now, there might be a pseudo third option there where you kind of share the cost maybe, but let's just go with those two main ideas there. Either either the offender has to bear the price or you have to bear the cost. But under no event here does the offence, or or notice here that the cost of the offence, it has to be borne by someone. The cost doesn't just disappear into thin air. Damage has been done. Now, that's in purely economic terms, but what happens when something that you can't put a price on happens? What happens when there's an offense, there's a harm, something has been committed that no money can make right? What happens if someone's robbed you of your happiness? What happens if someone has tarnished your reputation? What happens when someone has stolen from you opportunity or maybe prevented you from having your freedom? It's a game changer. And then there's a sense that that violation that has happened against you by someone doesn't go away by a simple sorry. And a simple so- sorry and apology, it doesn't cut it. There still is this lingering feeling that the perpetrator has incurred a debt that must be dealt with. What happens when you're in that situation? I'm aware that many of you might feel in a situation like that right now. or If not, you've definitely been there before. You have two options in this moment, two options. The first option is this. You can make them suffer and you can decide because of what they've done wrong against me and how they've hurt me and how they've harmed me, I'm going to make sure they pay this back everywhere I can through their suffering. I'm going to make sure I give them a cold shoulder every time I see them. I'm going to make sure I spread slander and gossip about them. I'm going to make sure everyone knows what they did. I'm going to tarnish their reputation. If there ever any opportunity that I can hold an opp- a, you know, open or shut a door for them? I'm going to make sure the door is shut in their face, whatever it might be, right? You have that option. And that can, in the moment... Because of the pain of the offense, it can feel like, ah, oh, that feels really, really good. But the more you do that, the it less it'll make you feel really, really good and actually start to do damage to who? To you, okay? But the option's there. You can make someone suffer. You can make someone suffer, but there is another option. The other option is simply this. You forgive them and you refuse to make them pay for what they did. Now, there's no doubt about it, that option that option is agonizing. No wonder, no wonder when we talk, talk in terms of what did God's forgiveness of us require, it required a sacrifice. And you can understand that, right? Because for you to willingly forgive someone their offense against you, to do that, it literally feels like you are giving up your right then to hurl insults back or to make them feel horrible for what they've done. The, the choice to forgive someone freely is painful It involves suffering because you're absorbing their debt, but make no doubt about it. It is courageous and it is a daring decision to make. But remember this, remember, the Christian idea though of sacrificial forgiveness, there is this belief and this hope that sacrificial forgiveness will always lead to a resurrection. So we don't forgive and think, okay, I forgive and deal's done. We are believing that forgiveness will lead to somewhere that won't be led to any other way, that indeed forgiveness is the only pathway to the resurrection we're hoping for. So no doubt about it, when you choose to freely forgive someone, it is a death. It is a death, but it's a death that leads to a resurrection instead, and this is so important, it's a death that leads to a resurrection instead of the lifelong living death Of bitterness and cynicism. And when you choose to freely forgive someone, it is a death. You are dying to pride, you are dying to fear, you're laying it down. But it's a death that we believe leads to resurrection instead of choosing the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. Yes, forgiveness costs, yes, forgiveness is suffering, but forgiveness is also a willing act, it is daring and it is courageous. And we see this example in Christ. Now let's go back to the Scripture. I want to see how the Apostle Paul breaks this down for us. He says this, remember, he said, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Say this word with me. Do what? Forgiving. Forgiving. So he's putting out a dare, if you will. He's like, here's what I'm daring you guys to do. Forgiving one another. And this word, this term, just as, is used twice. He goes, just as, in Christ, God forgave you. Follow, this is so good follow God's example follow his example therefore as the love children walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God so no doubt about it what Paul is asking of the church of Ephesians, that I believe you and I to be challenged with as well it's a daring thing Will we be willing to show the same courage that God showed towards us? Will we be willing to show the same boldness that God showed towards us? Will we be willing to do as God did through Jesus Christ and forgive others in the same way, just as God in Christ has forgiven us? Will we be willing to bear another's burden, to bear another's sin, to absorb it in ourselves, to pay someone else's price? And that might not sound attractive, right? It sounds like suffering. It sounds like pain, but it's also daring. And it's worth noting this, that all Christian acts, all Christian action, or virtues, or behavior that flow from a decision to follow Jesus and to be obedient to His teaching, it all is a response. And this is important to understand. It is all a response to the finished work of Christ. We don't do this in... It's never for. It's never for God to forgive me. It's never for God to make me right. Everything we do is always from what God has done. It's never for it. We don't do this in order to earn God's forgiveness. We do this, we forgive others because we've been forgiven. It's always from God's forgiveness towards us. We forgive ultimately because Jesus did. So here's the point. Here's the point. You and I are never more like Christ than when we freely forgive someone who wrongs us. Think of this for a moment. If we were to follow God's example and God's ultimate example was through His sacrifice on the cross for us in the hope of a the resurrection, therefore, you and I are never more like Christ and what makes Christ unique than when we freely forgive someone who wrongs you. It's massive, it's daring, and nothing, nothing on the planet requires more courage and bravery and resolve than confronting relational tension, brokenness, hurt, and offense. I mean, some of you guys would would happily go on roller coasters than confronting that person. Some of you happily jump off a 50-foot rock into water instead of dealing with that person, right? There seems to be nothing. I'm just trying to find things that I'm scared of, okay, and then project it onto you. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It is a bold, daring, courageous act, no doubt about it, to willingly forgive someone. And the reason is, is because it's sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. And every bold and daring act, what makes it bold and daring and courageous is because sacrifice was part of it. Let me, let me explain it this way. <laughs> um, so stay with me. When we were younger, if you think about it, if you can take your memory back and however you define younger, okay, when you're, when you're a kid, right, say when you're in school, usually when we would talk about something that was daring, a daring act, it was pretty much 99% of the time, a daring act constituted something that was physically risky. You were putting your body on the line. Like you remember that game we used to play, Truth or... Hey, these, you guys remember it. You guys don't. So back in school, there was this gang of truth. There you had to choose telling the truth, and no one ever told the truth or doing something daring. But here's the thing. Everything that was daring, everything you got dared to do, it was generally something that required a physical risk. That's why it was daring. You were putting your body in harm's way. You're you know, putting your, I don't know, your arm in harm's way. It might get broken, or your ponytail might get chopped off, right? If something was going to happen. You're putting yourself. So for me, if I think back to the most daring thing that I ever ever did as a young person, right? ever. Now, again, if you are here last week, I want to really apologize again. I'm about to tell another story of violence, and this seems to be a common occurrence in my childhood. I don't know where this came from, but if you are here last week, again, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. I don't endorse violence, but here you go. So um, so when I was, I must have been at 15, uh, I was at the Sunshine Plaza, late night shopping, two days before Christmas. You with me? You've been in the plaza, at midnight shopping just before Christmas, right? it's a really friendly place. <laughs> so I was staying with some friends and uh, the crowds were everywhere, like there were people everywhere. And so, you know, this, obviously one of the roles of the security at the Sunshine Plaza was to make sure people stayed off the walkways. And so the security guy, he wouldn't be six foot four, six foot five, I'll never forget it, was walking through the crowd, moving people out of the pathway. And there's a group of uh, teenage girls just next to me who I didn't know at the time. And he, as he's moving out of the way, he pushed one of the girls over. She went flying, a 15-year-old girl. And so I see that and go, whoa, that was aggressive. And she then just she unleashes a, a, a tyrant of, like, of, of verbal abuse at the security guard. And rightly so, right? He, he was physically aggressive towards her, unjustifiably. So she starts launching this verbal attack back in and, like, causing attention. Anyway, the security guard got really offended by, you know, she hurt his feelings. And so he got really offended by her blowing up at him. And so they began to have a, a, a scuffle. And so before I knew it, um, he was physically assaulting in front of everyone, this teenage girl. And people are just standing around watching this, watching this. And if it was in this day and age, people would be standing around filming it, filming it, filming it. It was the same thing. I was just watching it. And then something inside a 15-year-old Jono snapped. And I went, i got to do something. And looking around, looking around. No one's doing anything. So I was like, now, here's the thing. I know looking at me, I'm a massive specimen of a human being, right? I'm an intimidating figure. Like that's one thing I, I've got to work on as a pastor. When people talk to me, they're really intimidated by my presence. I, I, get, I get that about you. But, but this guy was a lot larger than me. Right? He's about six foot five. So I had to like, I had to like get brave and courageous. So i walking up to him and I tap him on the shoulder. I was like, excuse me, sir. And he goes, what do you want? What do you want? And I said, I, said, I don't think that's how you should be treating a young lady. And he goes, wow, oh, do you want to go, do you? And so uh, to fast forward the story, we engage in a tussle. I try to pull her out of his arms. He clocks me across the jaw. And everyone, everyone's standing around watching this. People at the cinema eating popcorn, loving it. It's just a great moment. And anyway, eventually the police come along, break it all up um, and break the whole scene up. Anyway, it goes to court, right? And this guy's getting charged. Um, of you know, assaulting both this young lady and me. So it's in court, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there in the witness box and the lawyer's lining me up and he's like, I'm going to get this young troublemaker. And so I'm sitting there and he goes to me, um, young, Mr. young Mr. Gallo, let it's cool over, good try. And he goes, um, "He goes, um, did you know this young lady before the event of the evening that happened? And I was like, no, no, I did not. And he was like, hey, did you, know, did you know the security guard involved in this prior to this event? I was like, no, I did not. And he goes, So what were you doing Get involved in a situation that wasn't yours to get involved in? Are you a troublemaker, Mr. Gula? Are you here just stirring up the pot and trying to cause violence? And I said, no, no, no. Um, And my brother hooked me up for this. He's a lawyer and he told me what to say because he knew this was coming. He said, no, just that uh, in my family, I got brought up that we are supposed to defend women, not assault them. And he said, no further questions, Your Honor. (laughs) And uh, the guy got charged with assault and I got hailed in the paper as a hero, right? Amazing. Okay, so now... I say all that, right? Because I'd put my body on the line, right? When you're younger, most daring things that you engage with are physical. They're physical risk. But when you get older, the most daring things that you generally engage with are no longer physical, they're emotional. And most daring things, the things that induce fear and anxiety, tend to do with areas of our emotions. And things that we would have willingly done when we were younger, when we are older, we're like, not anymore. And that's why when talking about forgiveness, it can seem like a risky, courageous, I don't know if I'm going to do that, because it costs you something something internally. But here's the thing. You and I, although we grow older in years, that doesn't necessarily mean we're growing more mature. Maturity is always displayed when you learn to master your emotions. No matter how big your biceps get, Doesn't no matter how fast you can run, how many brave things you can do physically, maturity is displayed in how you lead and manage your emotions. And Jesus' act of courage on the cross was both a physical bravery and emotional. But our act of courage that we're encouraged to take to following His example is just emotional. Emotional. And when Jesus put this challenge to forgive others to his disciples, they responded in a way that was so human and so relates to the way you and I probably feel about this. It was seen as so difficult, Jesus requests to his disciples, that this was the one time we read in all of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The only time we ever read or hear about the disciples of Jesus asking Jesus for more faith. Now, this does my head in because I'm thinking, surely if there's one place that the disciples would ask Jesus for more faith, it's probably the areas that you might be feel tempted to ask God, I need more faith. If you're going to cause me to do this, I need more faith. So I'm thinking, surely, surely it was a time when Jesus walked on the water and told Peter to walk out on the water too. Surely that was the moment he was like, oh, I increased my faith. No, it wasn't that. Okay, then surely it was a moment where there were thousands and thousands of hungry people to feed and Jesus only had some little kid's lunchbox and said to his disciples, I want you to feed thousands of people with one lunchbox. Surely it was that moment that the Disciples went, oh, to do this, increase our faith. Nope, it wasn't that. I know what it was. Surely it was the time where Lazarus, the covenant of Jesus, had been dead for three or four days. And Jesus gets to the tomb and he tells the disciples to roll away the tomb and unwrap him and bring him out. Surely at that moment, believing someone to be raised from the dead, that's when they said, no, Jesus, that is too much. Increase our faith. Nope, wasn't that. It was this. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins against you or offends you or hurts you, emotionally, rebuke them, call them on it, let them know, approach them, talk to them. And if they repent, if they say, I'm sorry, what are you to do? Say this word with me. Forgive. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back saying, I repent, you must what? Now, what is he saying here? Because You've had someone that keeps doing the same thing against you and comes back seven times in that day and says, sorry. You know, by that point, by probably apology number three or four, they're actually not sorry. They're just saying it. Parents would know this, right? I know it was my little daughter. She had this wonderful, delightful habit of every time she goes to the toilet, she unravels the whole toilet roll. She thinks it's hilarious. She knows I don't like it. So every time I discover her doing it, I stare at her and she goes, Sorry, Daddy. I'm like, you're not sorry. You're going to do it tomorrow. I know you have no guilt about this. You'll happily do it again, right? So what's Jesus saying here? Even if someone actually isn't sorry, forgive them. To which the apostles reply to the way you and I are probably feeling. They say, apostles said to the Lord, you got to increase our faith for that one. Raising dead people, fine. Walking on water, fine. Feeding thousands, fine. We'll do it. But forgiving someone, I need more faith. Why was that their response? I think that they clued onto something that you and I instinctively know that spiritual growth is inseparable from emotional maturity. Spiritual growth is inseparable from emotional maturity, meaning that the longer you follow Jesus and learn to put your trust in who he says he is and follow his example, the outward working of that trust in God or that depth of spirituality should be exemplified and seen in your emotional maturity, your fortitude, your strength, your courage emotionally. One of the profound books that deals with this, and I encourage everyone to read it And if you're writing this down, Peter Scazzario wrote a book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And he said, He said he'd been been a Christian for about 22 years when he realized this principle. And for 22 years, as much as he'd been a Christian and attending church and been in small groups and reading the Bible and all those things, he'd never allowed his faith in Jesus to mature who he was. He found himself still being impatient with people, um, have a rude tone with his wife all the time, Uh, who would never forgive people, who'd hold grudges. And finally, when he was challenged about this, he realized something. Although he'd been following Jesus for 22 years, he was a one-year-old Christian 22 times over. He said he never matured out of emotional and spiritual infancy. This is why the disciples were like, whoa, you're asking us to do something that we need to really grow up to get our heads around. And so they go, the faith thing, Ah, give me more faith. But here's the thing. To be emotionally mature, and please hear me on this, to be emotionally mature, it means you understand that forgiveness, and this is what the disciples were trying to get their head around, forgiveness is not excusing an offense it's not accepting an offense and it's not ignoring it forgiveness and when you're emotionally mature you wrap your head around this forgiveness is choosing it's choosing not to hold resentment and not wishing ill or harm on the offender it doesn't excuse it it doesn't say ah it's all right that you've done that it's not all right to done that but forgiveness doesn't mean excusing, like completely pardoning the sin, right? A sin has been incurred. But what you're doing it, forgiveness is saying, I'm not gonna hold on to resentment because of your offense. And I'm not gonna wish you ill or your harm. That is you, you have an offense and I'm not gonna let it bear and strangle my life and my neck any longer. I forgive you. It means you become free of the offense. And here's when you choose to do that, here's the thing. You are then trusting the justice of the offense into God's hands and you're not keeping it in your own and you're trusting that God will work on your behalf. This is mature. This is courageous. This is daring. Hear me, faith doesn't ignore the offense. Faith doesn't excuse it. Faith goes all in. Faith confronts it. Faith deals with it. Faith does it. And this is exactly how Jesus explains it in these next verses to his disciples. After they go, would you increase our faith? Here's how he replies to that. He said, he said to them, listen guys, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. In other words, he's saying this, this is not about having big faith or little faith. This is not about being really spiritual or small. This is not a faith thing. said so that's to do thing. I don't want you to believe something. I want you to do something. Here's how he breaks it down. He gives him an illustration. He says, suppose one of you has a servant or like an employee plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant, would the boss say to the employee when they come in from work, come along now and sit down to eat? Next slide. No, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? In other words, he's saying this. Will a boss go to their employees because they rocked up at nine and left at five? Thank you so much for doing what I've paid you to do. Oh, you are, you are, you are courageous. Like, you, that is such a faith act that you rocked up to work today. Thank you so much. said, like, of course he wouldn't. No. They're doing their job. They're doing what's expected. It's not It's not a great faith thing. They did the, the master was paying them a wage, provided a roof over their head, and in light of what the master gave, they're saying, this is, this is what we should do. We do our work. This is the analogy Jesus is painting. So you also, this is daring, right? This is courageous. It says, so you also, speaking to us, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are amazing. Do you realize how incredible I am that I forgave someone? I am the most spiritual person on the planet. Like, give me that mic. I'm going to be the one preaching now. i He says, No, no, no. When you've done it, you should say, "We're unworthy servants. We have only done our duty." It's in Jesus. Said, this, is, this isn't in light of in light of what in this story. In light of what the master gives the servants, expecting them to do their work. So it's not extraordinary. It's duty. In other words, saying this, in light of what we, what you and I have received from God personally, this is not a big ask. In fact, in light of the forgiveness that we've received from God freely, this is the least you and I could do. And when you're emotionally mature, that which you once saw as so daring, so courageous, as a daring decision, it shrinks down to the size of a simple duty to perform. And the more you follow Jesus and the more your emotions mature, things that were once fearful and decide, you know, I'm freaking out about this and I'm daring, I'm daring, I'm daring. The more you allow your emotions to mature and to follow Jesus, the more something that was once daring shrinks down to the size of a duty to perform. In other words, it's this, the more you and I see how much we are loved by God the more you're led to love like God. And this is ultimately what we're doing in choosing to forgive someone. We are not doing something for my love from God. It's because I've been loved by God. It's because I've been forgiven. And that has changed me. Like I'm changing, my emotions are changing, my courage is changing. It leads us to then begin to love like God. The more you come to realise how loved you are by God and how much he's done for you, the less this feels like a daring decision and the more it feels like just being obedient. Probably saw in the news this week, one of the most heartbreaking uh, tragedies that can fall on a family. And a week ago, a drunk driver mowed down four kids, three of them were siblings on the streets of Parramatta and like as a parent you try to get your head around the grief and the sorrow and the loss and obviously under those circumstances towards someone who was a drunk driver and just imagine the tidal wave of brokenness that would happen in that i don't know if you saw the interview with the parents but as much as the as much as the event itself was confronting Hearing what came out of the parent, we've got a picture of the parents here. Hearing what came out of their mouth at um, at a time where I couldn't imagine the emotional hurt. She got before the cameras, the mum, and said, "Because of our faith in Jesus and what we how we've been loved by Jesus, we don't hold this against the man. We forgive him." amazing watching their example. And as much as the tragedy got headlines, their response to the tragedy caught more headlines because it didn't make sense. Made sense to them though. For them, this is their duty. In light of how we've been loved and forgiven by God, we now forgive. She went on to say, and she nailed it. She goes, look, we still want the justice system to do what the justice system does. He still needs to make sure he goes through. And things that happened. He was a drunk driver and he's Killed four innocent children and injured other. We still want the just, but personally, we are not holding resentment. We are not going to harbour unforgiveness. We forgive. And that is daring. My prayer is that you and I would never have to face with their face in that degree. But if this holds up in the worst of situations, maybe this could hold up in what you're facing as well. So here's our daring decision this week. Is there someone? That I need to forgive. Is there someone that you need to forgive? God, we are so grateful that you love us the way you do. Man, it is amazing. I just think, God, I know I take it for granted far too often. And i become overly familiar with just how much I'm forgiven and just how much it costs you. So today, God, help us to feel like we're hearing this for the first time. Help our hearts to again be awakened to just how much you have shown your love towards us through your sacrifice. And God, this is, just seems impossible for us to do. So we need your help. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help us all to follow God's example. Help us, Holy Spirit, to forgive as we've been forgiven. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be bold and daring and courageous. And Lord, for those this morning that are in the middle of great hurt and great turmoil, and, and the the feelings of unforgiveness that might be coiled around their hearts, that is a struggle. I pray today that you begin to unravel that off their hearts and begin to lead them to a place, however long it takes, God, to a place of forgiveness so they can be free of the offense of another and their heart be whole. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.